Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The Tragedy of Hamlet, Prince of Denmark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Tragedy of Hamlet, Prince of Denmark, by William Shakespeare. Dramatis Personae. Ghost of Hamlet, the late King of Denmark, read by Dolohoff. King Claudius, his brother, read by Michael Serwa. Queen Gertrude of Denmark, widow of King Hamlet, now wife of Claudius, read by Elizabeth Clett. Prince Hamlet, son of King Hamlet and Queen Gertrude, read by John Gonzales. Polonius, a lord, read by Andy Minter. Laertes, son of Polonius, read by Denny Sayers. Ophelia, daughter of Polonius, read by Kristen Hughes. Reynaldo, servant of Polonius, read by Thomas Wells. Horatio, friend of Hamlet, read by David Nicol. Rosencrantz, friend of Hamlet, read by Kara Schallenberg. Guildenstern, friend of Hamlet, read by Karen Savage. Francisco, a soldier, read by Andrew Lebrun. Bernardo, a soldier, read by David O'Connell. Marcellus, a soldier, read by Jordan Mueller. Voltamond, a courtier, read by Thomas Wells. Osric, a courtier, read by Alex. A gentleman, read by David Jaquay. Another gentleman, read by M. B. Clown one, gravedigger, read by Brennan Holtzclaw. Clown two, gravedigger, read by Christy Nowak. A priest, read by Kevin O'Coin. Fortinbras, Prince of Norway, read by M. B. A captain in his army, read by Andrew Lebrun. English ambassador, read by Andrew Lebrun. First player, read by Rosalind Wills. Player king, read by Denny Sayers. Player queen, read by Kirsten Ferreri. Player Lucianus, read by Alex. Group of Danes, read by David O'Connell. A lord, read by Lauren T. A servant, read by Christy Nowak and the stage directions read by Rosalind Wills. End of Dramatis Personae The Tragedy of Hamlet, Prince of Denmark, by William Shakespeare Act One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Tragedy of Hamlet, Prince of Denmark, by William Shakespeare. Act One, Scene One. Elsinore, a platform before the castle. Francisco at his post. Enter to him, Bernardo. Who's there? Nay, answer me. Stand and unfold yourself. Long live the king. Bernardo? He. You come most carefully upon your hour. Tis now struck twelve. Get thee to bed, Francisco. For this relief, much thanks. "'Tis bitter cold, and I am sick at heart.' 
Have you had quiet guard? Not a mouse stirring. Well, good night. If you do meet Horatio and Marcellus, the rifles of my watch, bid them make haste. I think I hear them. Stand, ho! Who's there? Enter Horatio and Marcellus. Friends to this ground, and liegemen to the Dane. Give you good night. Oh, farewell, honest soldier. Who hath relieved you? Bernardo has my place. Give you good night. Exit Francisco. Holla, Bernardo. Say, what, is Horatio there? A piece of him. Welcome, Horatio. Welcome, good Marcellus. What, has this thing appeared again to-night? I have seen nothing. Horatio says tis but our fantasy, and will not let belief take hold of him touching this dreaded sight twice seen of us. Therefore I have entreated him, along with us, to watch the minutes of this night, that if again this apparition come, he may approve our eyes and speak to it. Tush, tush, twill not appear. Sit down a while, and let us once again assail your ears, that are so fortified against our story, what we two nights have seen. Well, sit we down, and let us hear Bernardo speak of this. Last night of all, when yon same star, that's westward from the pole, had made his course to illume that part of heaven, where now it burns, Marcellus and myself, the bell then beating one, Enter ghost. Peace, break thee off. Look where it comes again. In the same figure, like the king that's dead. Thou art a scholar. Speak to it, Horatio. Looks it not like the king? Mark it, Horatio. Most like. It harrows me with fear and wonder. It would be spoke to. Question it, Horatio. What art thou, that usurps this time of night together with that fair and warlike form in which the majesty of buried Denmark did sometimes march? By heaven I charge thee, speak! It is offended. See, it stalks away. Stay! Speak! Speak! I charge thee, speak! Exit, ghost. Tis gone, and will not answer. How now, Horatio? You tremble and look pale. Is not this something more than fantasy? What think you on it? Before my God! I might not this believe without the sensible and true avouch of mine own eyes. Is it not like the king? As thou art to thyself. Such was the very armour he had on when he the ambitious Norway combated. So frowned he once when, in an angry pall, he smote the sledded polax on the ice. Tis strange. Thus twice before, and jump at this dead hour. With martial stock hath he gone by our watch. In what particular thought to work I know not. But in the gross and scope of my opinion, this bodes some strange eruption to our state. Good now, sit down and tell me, he that knows, why this same strict and most observant watch so nightly toils the subject of the land and why such daily cast of brazen cannon, and foreign mart for implements of war, why such impressive shipwrights, whose sore task does not divide the Sunday from the week? What might be toward, that this sweaty haste doth make the night joint laborer with the day? Who is it that can inform me? That can I. At least, the whisper goes so. Our last king whose image even but now appeared to us, was, as you know, by fourteen brass of Norway, thereto pricked on by our most emulate pride, dared to the combat. 
in which our valiant Hamlet, for so this side of the known world esteemed him, did slay this Fortinbras, who, by a sealed compact, well ratified by law and heraldry, did forfeit with his life all those his lands which he stood seized of to the conqueror, against the which a moiety competent was gauged by our king, which had returned to the inheritance of Fortinbras had he been vanquisher, as, by the same covenant and carriage of the article designed, his fell to Hamlet. Now, sir, young Fortinbras, of unimproved metal, hot and full, have, in the skirts of Norway, here and there, sharked up a list of lawless resolutes, for food and diet to some enterprise that has a stomach in it, which is no other, as it doth well appear under our state, but to recover of us, by strong hand and terms compulsatory, those foresaid lands so by his father lost. And this, I take it, is the main motive of our preparations, the source of this our watch, and the chief head of this post-haste and roamage in the land. I think it be no other, but e'en so. Well may it sort that this portentous figure comes armed through our watch, so like the king that was and is the question of these wars. A mote it is to trouble the mind's eye. In the most high and palmy state of Rome, a little ere the mightiest Julius fell, the graves stood tenantless, and the sheeted dead did squeak and gibber in the Roman streets. As stars with trains of fire and dews of blood, disasters in the sun, and the moist star upon whose influence Neptune's empire stands was sick almost to doomsday with eclipse, and even the like precurse of fierce events, as harbingers preceding still the fates and prologue to the omen coming on, have heaven and earth together demonstrated unto our climatures and countrymen. But soft, behold, lo, where it comes again! Re-enter, ghost. I'll cross it, though it blast me. Stay, illusion! If thou hast any sound or use of voice, speak to me. If there be any good thing to be done that may to thee do ease and grace to me, speak to me. Cock crows. If thou art privy to thy country's fate, which happily foreknowing may avoid, oh, speak. Or if thou hast uphoarded in thy life extorted treasure in the womb of earth, for which, they say, you spirits oft walk in death, speak of it. Stay and speak. Stop it, Marcellus. Shall I strike at it with my partisan? Do, if it will not stand. Tis here. Tis here. Tis gone. Exit, ghost. We do it wrong, being so majestical, to offer it the show of violence. For it is, as the air, invulnerable, and our vain blows malicious mockery. It was about to speak when the cock crew. And then it started, like a guilty thing upon a fearful summons. I have heard... The cock, that is the trumpet to the morn, doth, with his lofty and shrill-sounding throat, awake the god of day. And at his warning, whether in sea or fire, in earth or air, the extravagant and erring spirit hies to his confine. And of the truth herein, this present object made probation. It faded on the crowing of the cock. Some say that ever against that season comes wherein our Saviour's birth is celebrated, the bird of dawning singeth all night long, and then, they say, 
no spirit dare stir abroad. The nights are wholesome. Then no planet strike, no fairy takes, nor witch hath power to charm. So hallowed and so gracious is that time. So I have heard, and do in part believe it. But look, the morn, in russet mantle clad, walks o'er the dew of yon high eastward hill. Break we our watch up, and by my advice, let us impart what we have seen to-night unto young Hamlet. For upon my life this spirit, dumb to us, will speak to him. Do you consent we shall acquaint him with it, as needful in our loves, fitting our duty? Let's do it, I pray, and I this morning know where we shall find him most conveniently. Exeunt. Scene 2. A room of state in the castle. Enter King Claudius, Queen Gertrude, Hamlet, Polonius, Laertes, Voltimand, Cornelius, Lords, and Attendants. Though yet of Hamlet our dear brother's death the memory be green, and that it us be fitted to bear our hearts in grief, and our whole kingdom to be contracted in one brow of woe, yet so far hath discretion fought with nature, that we with wisest sorrow think on him, together with remembrance of ourselves. Therefore, our sometime sister, now our queen, the imperial jointress to this warlike state, have we, as twere with a defeated joy, with an auspicious and a dropping eye, with mirth and funeral and with dirge and marriage, in equal scale, weighing delight and dole, taken to wife. Nor have we herein barred your better wisdoms, which have freely gone with this affair along. For all our thanks. Now follows that you know young Fortinbras, holding a weak supposal of our worth, or thinking by our late dear brother's death our state to be disjoint and out of frame, colleagued with the dream of his advantage, he hath not failed to pester us with message, importing the surrender of those lands lost by his father, with all bonds of law, to our most valiant brother. So much for him. Now for ourself, and for this time of meeting, this much the business is. We have here writ to Norway, uncle of young Fortinbras, who, impotent and bedrid, scarcely hears of this his nephew's purpose, to suppress his further gate herein, in that the levies, the lists and full proportions are all made out of his subject, and we here dispatch you, good Cornelius, and you, Voltamand, for bearers of this greeting to old Norway, giving to you no further personal power to business with the king, more than the scope of these dilated articles allow. Farewell, and let your haste command your duty. In that and all things we show our duty. We doubt it nothing. Heartily farewell. Exeunt Voltimand and Cornelius. And now, Laertes, what's the news with you? You told us of some suit. What is't, Laertes? You cannot speak of reason to the Dane and loose your voice. What wouldst thou beg, Laertes, that shall not be my offer, not thy asking? The head is not more native to the heart, the hand more instrumental to the mouth, than is the throne of Denmark to thy father. What wouldst thou have, Laertes? Your leave, and favour to return to France, from whence, though willingly I came to Denmark, to show my duty in your coronation, yet now I must confess, that duty done, my thoughts and wishes bend again toward France, and bow them to your gracious leave and pardon. Have you your father's leave? What says Polonius? 
He hath, my lord, wrung from me my slow leave by laboursome petition, and at last, upon his will, I sealed my hard consent. I do beseech you, give him leave to go. Take thy fair hour, Laertes, time be thine, and thy best graces spend it at thy will. But now, my cousin Hamlet, and my son. Aside. A little more than kin, and less than kind. How is it that the clouds still hang on you? Not so, my lord. I am too much i' the sun. Good Hamlet, cast thy nighted colour off, and let thine eye look like a friend on Denmark. Do not for ever with thy veiled lids seek for thy noble father in the dust. Thou knowest his common. All that lives must die, passing through nature to eternity. Ay, madam, it is common. If it be, why seems it so particular with thee? Seems, madam. Nay, it is. I know not seems. Tis not alone my inky cloak, good mother, nor customary suits of solemn black, nor windy suspiration of forced breath, no, nor the fruitful river in the eye, nor the dejected haviour of the visage, together with all forms, moods, shapes of grief that can denote me truly. These indeed seem, for they are actions that a man might play. But I have that within which passeth show, these but the trappings and the suits of woe. Tis sweet and commendable in your nature, Hamlet, to give these morning duties to your father. But you must know, your father lost a father, that father lost lost his, and the survivor, bound in filial obligation for some term to do obsequious sorrow, but to persevere in obstinate condolement is a course of impious stubbornness. Tis unmanly grief. It shows a will most incorrect to heaven, a heart unfortified, a, a mind impatient, an understanding simple and unschooled. For what we know must be, and is as common as any, the most vulgar thing to sense. Why should we, in our peevish opposition, take it to heart? Fie! Tis a fault to heaven, a fault against the dead, a fault to nature, to reason most absurd, whose common theme is death of fathers, and who still hath cried from the first course till he that died to-day, this must be so. We pray you, throw to earth this unprevailing woe, and think of us as of a father. For let the world take note, you are the most immediate to our throne." and with no less nobility of love than that which dearest father bears his son, do I impart toward you. For your intent in going back to school in Wittenberg, it is most retrograde to our desire, and we beseech you, bend you to remain here, in the cheer and comfort of our eye, our chiefest courtier, cousin, and our son. Let not thy mother lose her prayers, Hamlet. I pray thee, stay with us, go not to Wittenberg. I shall in all my best obey you, madam. Why, tis a loving and a fair reply. Be as ourself in Denmark. Madam, come. This gentle and unforced accord of Hamlet sits smiling to my heart. In grace whereof no jocund health that Denmark drinks to-day, but the great cannon to the clouds shall tell. And the kings rouse, the heavens all brew it again, re-speaking earthly thunder. Come, away. Excellent all but Hamlet. 
Oh, that this too, too solid flesh would melt, thaw, and resolve itself into a dew. Or that the everlasting had not fixed his cannon against self-slaughter. Oh, God! God! How weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable seem to me all the uses of this world. Fie, aunt! Oh, fie! Tis an unweeded garden that grows to seed. Things rank and gross in nature possess it merely. That it should come to this. But two months dead. Nay, not so much, not two. So excellent a king that was to this. Hyperion to a satyr, so loving to my mother, that he might not be teem the winds of heaven visit her face too roughly. Oh, heaven and earth must I remember, why she would hang on him as if increase of appetite had grown by what it fed on, and yet within a month let me not think on't. Mm. Frailty, thy name is woman. A little month, oh. or ere those shoes were old with which she followed my poor father's body like Niobe, all tears. Why, she, even she, oh, God, a beast that once discourse of reason would have mourned longer. Married with my uncle, my father's brother, but no more like my father than I to Hercules. <laughs> Within a month, ere yet the salt of most unrighteous tears had left the flushing in her galled eyes, she married. Oh, most wicked speed, to post with such dexterity to incestuous sheets. It is not, nor it cannot come to good. But break my heart, for I must hold my tongue. Enter Horatio, Marcellus, and Bernardo. Hail to your lordship. I am glad to see you well. Horatio, or I do forget myself. The same, my lord and your poor servant ever. Sir, my good friend, I'll change that name with you. And what make you from Wittenberg, Horatio? Marcellus? My good lord. I am very glad to see you. Good even, sir. But what, in faith, make you from Wittenberg? A truant disposition, good my lord. I would not hear your enemy say so, nor shall you do mine ear that violence to make it truster of your own report against yourself. I know you are no truant. But what is your affair in Elsinore? We'll uh, teach you to drink deep ere you depart. <laughs> My lord, I came to see your father's funeral. I pray thee, do not mock me, fellow student. I think it was to see my mother's wedding. Indeed, my lord, it followed hard upon. Thrift! 
thrift, Horatio. The funeral baked meats did coldly furnish forth the marriage tables. Would I had met my dearest foe in heaven, or ere I'd seen that day, Horatio. My father, methinks I see my father. Where, my lord? In my mind's eye, Horatio. I saw him once. He was a goodly king. He was a man. Take him for all in all. I shall not look upon his like again. My lord, I think I saw him yesternight. Saw who? My lord, the king your father. The king my father. Season your admiration for a while with an attent ear, till I may deliver, upon the witness of these gentlemen, this marvel to you. For God's love, let me hear. Two knights together had these gentlemen, Marcellus and Bernardo, on their watch in the dead vast in the middle of the night, been thus encountered. A figure, like your father, armed at point exactly cap pay, appears before them, and with solemn march goes slow and stately by them. Thrice he walked by their oppressed and fear-surprised eyes within his truncheon's length, whilst they, distilled almost to jelly with the act of fear, stand dumb and speak not to him. This, to me, in dreadful secrecy in part they did, and I, with them, the third night kept the watch, where, as they had delivered, both in time, form of the thing, each word made true and good, the apparition comes. I knew your father. These hands are not more like. But where was this? My lord, upon the platform where we watched. Did you not speak to it? My lord, I did, but answer made it none. Yet once, methought, it lifted up its head, and did address itself to motion, like as it would speak, but even then the morning cock grew loud, and at the sound it shrunk in haste away, and vanished from our sight. "'Tis very strange. "'As I do live, my honoured lord, tis true, and we did think it writ down in our duty to let you know of it. "'Indeed, indeed, sirs, but this troubles me. "'Hold you the watch to-night?' We, we do, do, my, my lord. lord. Armed, say you? Armed, my, my lord. From top to toe? My, my lord, from head, head to foot. Then saw you not his face? Oh, yes, my lord, he wore his beaver up. What? Looked he frowningly? A countenance more in sorrow than in anger. Pale or red? Nay, very pale. And fixed his eyes upon you? Most constantly. How would I had been there? It would have much amazed you. Very like, very like. Stayed it long? While one with moderate haste might tell a hundred. Longer, 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 longer. Not when I saw it. His beard was grizzled, no? It was as I have seen it in his life, a sable silvered. I will watch to-night. Perchance twill walk again. I warrant it will. If it assume my noble father's person, I'll speak to it, though hell itself should gape and bid me hold my peace. I pray you all, if you have hitherto concealed this sight, let it be tenable in your silence still. 
and whatsoever else shall hap to-night give it an understanding but no tongue i will requite your loves so fare you well upon the platform twixt eleven and twelve i'll visit you our, our duty, duty to your, your honour honor. your loves as mine to you farewell excellent all but hamlet my father's spirit in arms all is not well I doubt some foul play. Oh, what the night were come! Till then, sit still, my soul. Foul deeds will rise, though all the earth o'erwhelm them to men's eyes. Exit. Scene three. A room in Polonius's house. Enter Laertes and Ophelia. My necessaries are embarked. Farewell. And, sister, as the winds give benefit and convoy is assistant, do not sleep, but let me hear from you. Do doubt that. For Hamlet and the trifling of his favor hold it a fashion and a toy in blood, a violet in the youth of primy nature forward not permanent, sweet, not lasting, the perfume and suppliance of a minute, no more. No more, but so? Think it no more, for nature, crescent, does not grow alone in thews and bulk, but as this temple waxes, the inward service of the mind and soul grows wide withal. Perhaps he loves you now, and now no soil nor cautel doth besmirch the virtue of his will, but you must fear. His greatness weighed, his will is not his own, for he himself is subject to his birth. He may not, as unvalued persons do, carve for himself, for on his choice depends the safety and health of this whole state, and therefore must his choice be circumscribed unto the voice and yielding of that body whereof he is the head. Then, if he says he loves you, it fits your wisdom, so far to believe it, as he in his particular act and place may give his saying deed, which is no further than the main voice of Denmark goes with all. Then weigh what loss your honor may sustain, if with too credent ear you list his songs, or lose your heart, or your chaste treasure open to his unmastered importunity. Fear it, Ophelia, fear it, my dear sister, and keep you in the rear of your affection, out of the shot and danger of desire. The chariest maid is prodigal enough, if she unmask her beauty to the moon. Virtue itself scapes not calumnious strokes, the canker galls the infants of the spring. 
too oft before their buttons be disclosed, and in the morn and liquid dew of youth contagious blasphemies are most imminent. Be wary, then, best safety lies in fear. Youth to itself rebels, though none else near. I shall the effect of this good lesson keep as watchman to my heart. But good, my brother, do not, as some ungracious pastors do, show me the steep and thorny way to heaven, whilst, like a puffed and reckless libertine, himself the primrose path of dalliance treads, and wrecks not his own reed. <laughs> oh, fear me not. I stay too long. <laughs> but here my father comes. Enter Polonius. A double blessing is a double grace. Occasion smiles upon a second leave. Yet here, Laertes, aboard, aboard, for shame! The wind sits in the shoulder of your sail, and you are stayed for. Ah, uh, there, my blessing with thee, and these few precepts in thy memory. Look thou character, give thy thoughts no tongue, nor any unproportioned thought his act. Be thou familiar, but by no means vulgar. Those friends thou hast, and their adoption tried, grapple them unto thy soul with hoops of steel, but do not dull thy palm with entertainment of each new-hatched unfledged comrade. Beware of entrance to a quarrel, but being in, bear that the opposed may beware of thee. Give every man thine ear, but few thy voice. Take each man's censure, but reserve thy judgment. Costly thy habit as thy purse can buy, but not expressed in fancy, rich, not gaudy, for the apparel oft proclaims the man, and they in France of the best rank and station are most select and generous, chief in that. Neither a borrower nor a lender be, for loan oft loses both itself and friend, and borrowing dulls the edge of husbandry. This above all, to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night the day thou canst not then be false to any man. Farewell, my blessing season this in thee. Most humbly do I take my leave, my lord. The time invites you. Go, your servants tend. Farewell, Ophelia, and remember well what I have said to you. "'Tis in my memory locked, and you yourself shall keep the key of it. "'Farewell.' Exit Laertes. "'What is't, Ophelia, he hath said to you?' "'So please you, something touching the Lord Hamlet.' "'Marry, well bethought. "'Tis told me he hath very oft of late given private time to you, "'and you yourself have of your audience been most free and bounteous.' If it be so, as so tis put to me, and that in way of caution, I must tell you you do not understand yourself so clearly as it behoves my daughter and your honour. What is between you? Give me up the truth. He hath, my lord of late, made many tenders of his affection to me. Affection? Pooh! You speak like a green girl, unsifted in such perilous circumstance. Do you believe his 
tenders, as you call them? I do not know, my lord, what I should think. Mary, I will teach you. Think yourself a baby that you should tend these tenders for true pay, which are not sterling. Tender yourself more dearly, or, not to crack the wind of the poor phrase running it thus, you'll tender me a fool. My lord, he hath importuned me with love in honourable fashion. Aye, fashion you may call it. Go to, go to. And hath given countenance to his speech, my lord, with almost all the holy vows of heaven. Aye, springs to catch woodcocks. I do know when the blood burns, how prodigal the soul lends the tongue vows. These blazes, daughter, giving more light than heat, extinct in both, even in their promise as it is a-making, you must not take for fire. From this time be somewhat scanter of your maiden presence. Set your entreatments at a higher rate than a command to parley. For Lord Hamlet, believe so much in him, that he is young, and with a larger tether may he walk than may be given you. In few, Avelia, do not believe his vows, for they are brokers not of that dye which their investments show, but mere implorators of unholy suits, breathing like sanctified and pious boards, the better to beguile. This is for all. I would not— in plain terms, from this time forth, have you so slander any moment leisure as to give words or talk with the Lord Hamlet? Look to it, I charge you. Come your ways. I shall obey, my lord. Exeunt. Scene 4. The Platform. Enter Hamlet, Horatio, and Marcellus. The air bites shrewdly. It is very cold. It is a nipping and an eager air. What hour now? I think it lacks of twelve. No, it is struck. Indeed? I heard it not. Then it draws near the season wherein this spirit held his wont to walk. A flourish of trumpets and ordnance shot off within. What does this mean, my lord? The king doth wake to-night, and takes his rouse, keeps wassail, and the swaggering upspring reels. And as he drains his draughts of Rhenish down, the kettle-drum and trumpet thus bray out the triumph of his pledge. Is it a custom? Ay, Mary, is't. But to my mind, though I am native here, and to the manner born, it is a custom more honoured in the breach than the observance. This heavy-headed revel east and west makes us traduced and taxed of other nations. They cleep us drunkards, and with swinish phrase soil our addition. And indeed it takes from our achievements, though performed at height, the pith and morrow of our attribute. So, oft it chances in particular men, that for some vicious mole of nature in them, as in their birth, wherein they are not guilty, since nature cannot choose his origin, by the o'ergrowth of some complexion, oft breaking down the pales and forts of reason, or by some habit that too much o'erleavens the form of plots of manners, that these men, carrying, I say, the stamp of one defect, being nature's livery or fortune's star, their virtues else, 
be they as pure as grace, as infinite as man may undergo, shall in the general censure take corruption from that particular fault. The dram of eel doth all the noble substance of a doubt to his own scandal. Look, my lord, it comes. Enter ghost. Angels and ministers of grace defend us. Be thou a spirit of health or goblin damned. Bring with thee airs from heaven or blast from hell. Be thy intents wicked or charitable. Thou comest in such a questionable shape that I'll speak to thee. I'll call thee Hamlet. King. Father. Royal Dane, O oh, answer me. Let me not burst in ignorance, but tell why thy canonized bones, hearsed in death, have burst their cerements. Why the sepulchre, wherein we saw thee quietly inured, hath oped his ponderous and marble jaws to cast thee up again. What may this mean, that thou, dead course, again in complete steel revisitest thus the glimpses of the moon, making night hideous, and we fools of nature so horridly to shake our disposition with thoughts beyond the reaches of our souls? Say, why is this? Wherefore? What should we do? Ghost beckons Hamlet. It beckons you to go away with it, as if it some impartment did desire to you alone. Look, with what courteous action it waves you to a more removed ground. But do not go with it. No, by no means. It will not speak. Then I will follow it. Do not, my lord. Why? What should be the fear? I do not set my life in a pin's fee. And for my soul, what can it do to that, being a thing immortal as itself? It weighs me forth again. I'll follow it. What if it tempt you toward the flood, my lord, or to the dreadful summit of the cliff that beetles o'er his base into the sea, and there assume some other horrible form which might deprive your sovereignty of reason and draw you into madness? Think of it. The very place puts toys of desperation without more motive into every brain that looks so many fathoms to the sea and hears it roar beneath. It waves me still. Go on, I'll follow thee. You shall not go, my lord. Hold off your hands. Be ruled, you shall not go. My fate cries out, and makes each petty artery in this body as hardy as a Nemean lion's nerve. Still am I called, unhand me, gentlemen. By heaven I'll make a ghost of him that lets me. I say away. Go on. I'll follow thee. Exeunt ghost and Hamlet. He waxes desperate with imagination. Let's follow. Tis not fit thus to obey him. Have after. To what issue will this come? Something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Heaven will direct it. Nay, let's follow him. Exeunt. Scene 5. Another part of the platform. Enter Ghost and Hamlet. Where wilt thou lead me? Speak. I'll go no further. Mark me. I will. My hour is almost come, when I to sulphurous and tormenting flames must render up myself. Alas, poor ghost! 
Hitting me not, but lend thy serious hearing to what I shall unfold. Speak, I am bound to hear. So art thou to revenge when thou shalt hear. What? I am thy father's spirit, doomed for a certain term to walk the night, and for the day confined to waste in fires, so the foul crimes done in my days of nature are burnt and purged away. But that I am forbid to tell the secrets of my prison house, I could a tale unfold whose lightest word would harrow up thy soul, freeze thy young blood, make thy two eyes like stars start from their spheres, thy knotted and combined and locks depart, and each particular hair to stand upon end like quills upon the fretful porcupine. But this eternal blazon must not be to ears of flesh and blood. List, list, O oh list, if thou didst ever thy dear father love. Oh, God! Revenge his foul and most unnatural murder. Murder. Murder most foul as in the best it is, but this most foul, strange, and unnatural. Haste me to note that I, with wings as swift as meditation or the thoughts of love, may sweep to my revenge. I find thee apt. And duller shouldst thou be than the fat weed that roots itself in ease on Lethe Wharf, would thou not stir in this. Now Hamlet here. Tis given out that sleeping in mine orchard a serpent stung me, so the whole ear of Denmark is by a forged process of my death rankly abused. But know, thou noble youth, the serpent that did sting thy father's life now wears his crown. Oh, my prophetic soul, my uncle. Aye. That incestuous, that adulterate beast, with witchcraft of his wit, with traitorous gifts, O oh, wicked wit and gifts that have the power so to seduce, one to his shameful lust the will of my most seeming virtuous queen. Oh, Hamlet, what a falling off was there! From me, whose love was of that dignity that it went hand in hand even with the vow I made to her in marriage, and to decline upon a wretch whose natural gifts were poor to those of mine. But virtue, as it never will be moved, though lewdness courted in a shape of heaven, so lust, though to a radiant angel linked, will sate itself in a celestial bed and prey on garbage. But soft, methinks I sent the morning air. Brief let me be. Sleeping within mine orchard, my custom always in the afternoon. Upon my secure hour, thy uncle stole, with juice or cursed heaven and in a vial, and in the porches of mine ears did pour the leprous distillment whose effect holds such an enmity with blood of man that, swift as quicksilver, it courses through the natural gates and alleys of the body, and with a sudden vigor if doth posset incurred, like eager droppings into milk the thin and wholesome blood, so did it mine, and a most instant tetter barked about, most lazar-like with vile and loathsome crust all my smooth body. Thus was I sleeping, by a brother's hand, of life, of crown, of queen, at once dispatched, cut off even in the blossoms of my sin, unhouseled, disappointed, unannaled, no reckoning made but sent to my account with all my imperfections on my head. Oh, horrible! Oh, horrible, most horrible! If thou hast nature in thee, bear it not. Let not the royal bed of Denmark be a couch for luxury and damned incest. But howsoever thou pursuest this act, taint not thy mind, nor let thy soul contrive against thy mother aught. Leave her to heaven, and to those thorns that in her bosom lodge, to prick and sting her. Fairly well at once, the glowworm shows the matin to be near, and begins to pale his ineffectual fire. 
Adieu, adieu. Hamlet, remember me. Exit Ghost. Oh, all you host of heaven. Oh, earth. What else? Then shall I couple hell? Oh, fie. Hold my heart, and you, my sinews, grow not instant old, but bear me stiffly up. Remember thee. I, thou poor ghost, while memory holds a seat in this distracted globe, remember thee. Yea, from the table of my memory I'll wipe away all trivial fond records, all saws of books, all forms, all pressures past that youth and observation copy there, and thy commandment all alone shall live within the book and volume of my brain, unmixed with baser matter, yes, by heaven! O oh, most pernicious woman, O oh, villain, villain smiling, damned villain! My table's meet, it is, I set it down, one may smile and smile and be a villain, at least I am sure it may be so in Denmark. Writing. Hmm. So, uncle. There you are. Now to my word. It is adieu, adieu, remember me. I have sworn. Within. My lord, my lord. Lord Hamlet. Heaven secure him. So be it. Within. Hello! Ho, 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 my lord! Hello, ho, ho, boy! Come, bird, come! Enter Horatio and Marcellus. How is it, my noble lord? What news, my lord? No, oh, wonderful! Good my lord, tell it! No, you'll reveal it. Not I, my lord, by heaven! Nor I, my lord. How say you, then? Would heart of man once think it? But you'll be secret? Ay, by, by heaven, heaven, my lord. There's ne'er a villain dwelling in all Denmark, but he's an errant knave. There needs no ghost, my lord, come from the grave to tell us this. Why, right, you are the right. And so, without more circumstance at all, I hold it fit that we shake hands and part. You, as your business and desire shall point you, for every man has business and desire such as it is, and for mine own poor part, look you, uh, I'll go pray. These are but wild and whirling words, my lord. I'm sorry they offend you. Heartily. Yes, faith, heartily. <laughs> There's no offence, my lord. Yes, by St. Patrick, but there is, Horatio, and much offence, too. Touching this vision here, it is an honest ghost, that let me tell you, for your desire to know what is between us, or master it as you may. And now, good friends, as you are friends, scholars, and soldiers, give me one poor request. What is, my lord? We will. Never make known what you have seen to-night. My, my lord, lord, we, we will, will not. not. Nay, but swear it. In faith, my lord, not I. Nor I, my lord, in faith. Upon my sword. We have sworn, my lord, already. Indeed. Upon my sword, indeed. Beneath. <laughs> Ah, oh, boy, sayst thou so? Art thou there, true penny? Come on, you hear this fellow in the cellarage consent to swear. Propose the oath, my lord. Never to speak of this that you have seen swear.
by my sword. Beneath. <laughs> ah, hicka to beak, eh? <laughs> then we'll shift our ground. Come here, the gentlemen, and lay your hands again upon my sword, never to speak of this that you have heard. Swear by my sword. Beneath. <laughs> well said, old mole. Canst work of the earth so fast, worthy pioneer. Once more remove, good friends. Oh, day and night, but this is wondrous strange. And therefore, as a stranger, give it welcome. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. But come, here, as before, never, so help you mercy, how strange or odd, so e'er I bear myself, as I perchance hereafter shall think meet to put an antic disposition on that you, at such times seeing me, never shall, with arms encumbered thus, or this head shake, or by pronouncing of some doubtful phrase, as, well, well, we know, or we could, and if we would, or if we list to speak, or there be, and if they might, or such ambiguous giving out note, that you know aught of me, this not to do, so grace and mercy at your most need help you, swear. Beneath. <laughs> rest, rest, perturbed spirit. They swear. So, gentlemen, with all my love I do commend me to you. And what so poor a man as Hamlet is may do, to express his love and friending to you, God willing, shall not lack. Let us go in together, and still your fingers on your lips, I pray. The time is out of joint. Oh, cursed spite, that ever I was born to set it right. Nay, come, let's go together. Excellent. End of Act One The Tragedy of Hamlet, Prince of Denmark, by William Shakespeare. Act Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Tragedy of Hamlet, Prince of Denmark, by William Shakespeare. Act Two, Scene One. A room in Polonius's house. Enter Polonius and Rinaldo. Give him this money and these notes, Rinaldo. I will, my lord. You shall do marvels wisely, good Reynaldo, before you visit him, to make inquire of his behaviour. My lord, I did intend it. Marry, well said, very well said. Look you, sir, inquire me first what danskers are in Paris, and how, and who, what means, and where they keep, what company, at what expense, and finding by this encompassment and drift of question that they do know, my son, Come you more nearer than your particular demands will touch it. Take you, as twere, some distant knowledge of him, as thus, I know his father and his friends, and in part him. Do you mark this, Reynaldo? Aye, very well, my lord. And in part him, but, you may say, not well, but if be he, I mean he's very wild, addicted so-and-so, and there put on him what forgeries you please. Very none so rank as may dishonour him, 
take heed of that, but, sir, such wanton, wild, and usual slips, as are companions noted and most known to youth and liberty. As gaming, my lord. Ay, drinking, fencing, swearing, quarrelling, drabbing, you may go so far. My lord, that would dishonour him. Faith, no, as you may season it in the charge, you must not put another scandal on him, that, that he is open to incontinency, that's not my meaning, but breathe his faults so quaintly that they may seem the taints of liberty, the flash and outbreak of a fiery mind, a savageness in unreclaimed blood, of general assault. But, my good lord— Wherefore should you do this? Ay, my lord, I would know that. Marry, sir, here's my drift, and I believe it is a fetch of warrant, you laying these slight sullies on my son, as twere a thing a little soiled i' the working, mark you. Your party in converse, him you would sound, having ever seen in the prenominate crimes the youth you breathe of guilty. Be assured, he closes with you in this consequence, good sir, or so, or friend, or gentleman according to the phrase or, or the addition of man and country. Very good, my lord. And then, sir, do, does a this, a, a does— What was I about to say? By the mass, I was about to say something. Where did I leave? At closes in the consequence, at friend or so, and gentleman. At closes in the consequence. Aye, marry. He closes thus. I know the gentleman. I saw him yesterday, or t'other day, or then, or then, with such and such, and, as you say, there was a gaming there, or took in rouse, there falling out at tennis, or, or perchance I saw him enter such a house of sale, videlicet, a brothel, or so forth. See you now, your bait of falsehood takes this carp of truth, and thus do we, of wisdom and of reach, with windlasses and with assays of bias, by indirections, find directions out. So, by my former lecture and advice, shall you, my son. You have me, have you not? My lord, I have. God be we. Fare ye well. Good, my lord. Observe his inclination in yourself. I shall, my lord. And let him ply his music. Well, my lord. Farewell. Exit Rinaldo. Enter Ophelia. How now, Ophelia? What's the matter? Oh, my lord, my lord, I have been so affrighted. With what, in the name of God? My lord, as I was sewing in my closet, Lord Hamlet, with his doublet all unbraced, no hat upon his head, his stockings fouled, unguarded, and downjive to his ankle, pale as his shirt, his knees knocking together, and with a look so piteous and purport as if he had been loosed out of hell to speak of horrors. He comes before me. Mad for thy love? My lord, I do not know, but truly I do fear it. What said he? He took me by the wrist and held me hard. Then goes he to the length of all his arm, and with his other hand thus o'er his brow, he falls to such perusal of my face as he would draw it. Long stayed he so. At last, a little shaking of mine arm, and thrice his head thus, waving up and down, he raised a sigh so piteous and profound as it did seem to shatter all his bulk and end his being. That done, he lets me go, and with his head o'er his shoulder turned, he seemed to find his way without his eyes. 
for out of doors he went without their helps, and to the last bended their light on me. Come, go with me. I will go seek the king. This is the very ecstasy of love, whose violent property foredoes itself, and leads the will to desperate undertakings, as oft as any passion under heaven that doth afflict our natures. I am sorry. What, have you given him any hard words of late? No, my good lord, but as you did command, I did repel his fetters, and denied his access to me. That hath made him mad. I am sorry that with better heed and judgment I had not quoted him. I feared he did but trifle, and meant to rack thee, but beshrew my jealousy. By heaven, it is as proper to our age to cast beyond ourselves in our opinions, as is common for the younger sort to lack discretion. Come, go we to the king. This must be known, which, being kept close, might move more grief to hide than hate to utter love. Come. Exeunt. Scene two. A room in the castle. Enter King Claudius, Queen Gertrude, Rosencrantz, Guildenstern, and attendants. Welcome, dear Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Moreover, that we much did long to see you, the need we have to use you did provoke our hasty sending. Something have you heard of Hamlet's transformation, so call it? Sith nor the exterior nor the inward man resembles that it was. What it should be, more than his father's death, that thus hath put him so much from the understanding of himself, I cannot dream of. I entreat you both, that being of so young days brought up with him, and Sith so neighboured to his youth and haviour, that you vouchsafe your rest here in our court some little time, so by your companies to draw him on to pleasures, and to gather, so much as from occasion you may glean, whether aught, to us unknown, afflicts him thus, that opened lies within our remedy. Good gentlemen, he hath much talked of you, and sure I am two men there are not living to whom he more adheres. If it will please you to show us so much gentry and good will as to expend your time with us a while, for the supply and profit of our hope, your visitation shall receive such thanks as befits a king's remembrance. Both your majesties might, by the sovereign power you have of us, put your dread pleasures more into command than to entreaty. We both obey, and here give up ourselves in the full bent to lay our service freely at your feet, to be commanded. Thanks, Rosencrantz and gentle Guildenstern. Thanks, Guildenstern, and gentle Rosencrantz. And I beseech you instantly to visit my too-much-changed son. Go, some of you, and bring these gentlemen where Hamlet is. Heavens make our presence and our practices pleasant and helpful to him. Ay, amen. Exeunt Rosencrantz, Guildenstern, and some attendants. Enter Polonius. The ambassadors from Norway, my good lord, are joyfully returned. Thou still hast been the father of good news. Have I, my lord? Assure you, my good liege, I hold my duty as I hold my soul, both to my god and to my gracious king. And I do think, or else this brain of mine hunts not the trail of policy so sure as it hath used to do, that I have found the very cause of Hamlet's lunacy. Oh, speak of that. That do I long to hear. Give first admittance to the ambassadors. My news shall be the fruit to that great feast. Thyself do grace to them, and bring them in. Exit Polonius. 
He tells me, my dear Gertrude, he hath found the head and source of all your son's distemper. I doubt it is no other but the main, his father's death, and our or hasty marriage. Well, we shall sift him. Re-enter Polonius with Voltamand and Cornelius. Welcome, my good friends. Say, Voltamand, what from our brother Norway? Most fair return of greetings and desires. Upon our first he sent out to suppress his nephew's levies, which to him appeared to be a preparation against the Pollock. But better looked into, he truly found it was against your highness, whereat grieved, that so his sickness, age, and impotence was falsely borne in hand, since out arrests on Fortinbras, which he, in brief, obeys, receives rebuke from Norway, and in fine makes vow before his uncle nevermore to give the assay of arms against your majesty, whereon old Norway, overcome with joy, gives him three thousand crowns in annual fee, and his commission to employ these soldiers, so levied as before, against the Pollock, with an entreaty, herein further shown. Giving a paper that it might please you to give quiet pass through your dominions for this enterprise, on such regards of safety and allowance as therein are set down. It likes us well, and at our more considered time well read. Answer and think upon this business. Meantime we thank you for your well-took labour. Go to your rest, at night we'll feast together. Most welcome home. Exunt Voltamand and Cornelius This business is well ended. My liege and madam to expostulate, what majesty should be, what duty is, why day is day, night is night, and time is time, were nothing but to waste night, day, and time. Therefore, since brevity is the soul of wit, and tediousness the limbs and outward flourishes, I will be brief. Your noble son is mad. Mad call I it, for, to define true madness, what is't but to be nothing else but mad? B but let that go. More matter with less art. Madam, I swear I use no art at all. That he is mad, tis true. Uh, tis true, tis pity, and pity tis, tis true. <laughs> A foolish figure. But farewell it, for I will use no art. Mad, let us grant him, then. And now remains that we find out the cause of this effect, <laughs> or rather say the cause of this defect. For this effect, defective comes by cause, thus it remains, and the remainder thus uh, perpend. I have a daughter, have while she is mine, who in her duty and obedience, mark, hath given me this. Now, Gather and surmise. Reads. To the celestial and my soul's idol, the most beautified Ophelia. <laughs> That's an ill phrase, a vile phrase. Beautified is a vile phrase. B but you shall hear. Thus. Reads. In her excellent white bosom, these, etc. Came this from Hamlet to her? Good madam, stay a while, I will be faithful. Reads. Doubt thou the stars are fire, doubt that the sun doth move, doubt truth to be a liar, but never doubt I love. O oh, dear Ophelia, I am ill at these numbers. I have not art to reckon my groans, but that I love thee best. O oh, most best, believe it, 
adieu dine evermore most dear lady while this machine is to him hamlet this in obedience hath my daughter shown me and more above hath his solicitings as they fell out by time by means and place all given to mine ear but how hath she received his love what do you think of me as of a man faithful and honourable i would fain prove so but what might you think when i had seen this hot love on the wing as i perceived it i must tell you that before my daughter told me what might you or my dear majesty your queen here think if i had played the desk or table-book or given my heart a winking mute and dumb or looked upon this love with idle sight what might you think no i went round to work and my young mistress thus i did bespeak lord hamlet is a prince out of thy star this must not be and then i prescripts gave her that she should lock herself from his resort admit no messengers receive no tokens which done she took the fruits of my advice and he repulsed a short tale to make fell into a sadness then into a fast then to a watch thence into a weakness thence to a lightness and by this declension into the madness wherein now he raves and all we mourn for do you think tis this it may be very likely hath there been such a time i would fain know that that i have positively said tis so when it proved otherwise not that i know pointing to his head and shoulder take this from this if this be otherwise if circumstances lead me i will find where truth is hid though it were hid indeed within the centre how may we try it further you know sometimes he walks for hours together here in the lobby so he does indeed at such a time i'll loose my daughter to him be you and i behind an arras then mark the encounter if he love her not and he not from his reason fallen thereon let me be no assistant for a state but keep a farm and carters we will try it but look where sadly the poor wretch comes reading away i do beseech you both away i'll board him presently oh give me leave exeunt king claudius queen gertrude and attendants enter hamlet reading how does my good lord hamlet well god of mercy do you know me my lord excellent well you are a fishmonger not i my lord then i would you were so honest a man honest my lord ay sir to be honest as this world goes is to be one man picked out of ten thousand that's very true my lord for if the sun breed maggots in a dead dog being a god-kissing carrion have you a daughter i have my lord let her not walk in the sun conception is a blessing but not as your daughter may conceive friend look to it aside how say you by that still harping on my daughter yet he knew me not at first he said i was a fishmonger he is far gone far gone and truly in my youth i suffered much extremity for love very near this i'll speak to him again what do you read my lord words 
words uh, words what is the matter my lord between who i mean the matter that you read my lord slanders sir for the satirical rogue says here that old men have grey beards, that their faces are wrinkled, their eyes purging thick amber and plum-tree gum, and that they have a plentiful lack of wit, together with most weak hams, all which, sir, though I most powerfully and potently believe, yet I hold it not honesty to have it thus set down, for yourself, sir, should be as old as I am, if, like a crab, you could go backward. Though this be madness, yet there's a method in it. "'Will you walk out of the air, my lord?' "'Into my grave.' "'Indeed, that is out of the air.' "'Aside. "'How pregnant sometimes his replies are. "'A happiness that often madness hits on, "'which reason and sanity could not so prosperously be delivered of. "'I will leave him, and suddenly contrive the means of meeting "'between him and my daughter. "'My honourable lord, I will most humbly take my leave of you.' You cannot, sir, take from me anything that I will more willingly part with all. Except my life. Except my life. <laughs> Except my life. Fare you well, my lord. These tedious old fools. Enter Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. You go to see the Lord Hamlet. There he is. To Polonius. God save you, sir. Exit Polonius. My honoured lord. My most dear lord. My excellent good friends. How dost thou, Gildenstern? Ah, Rosencrantz, good lads, how do you both? As the indifferent children of the earth. Happy in that we are not over-happy. On fortune's cap we are not the very button. Nor the soles of her shoe. Neither, my lord. Then you live about her waist, or in the middle of her favours? Faith, her privates we. In the secret parts of fortune. <laughs> oh, most true, she is a strumpet. What's the news? None, my lord, but that the world's grown honest. Then is doomsday near. But your news is not true. Let me question you more in particular. What have you, my good friends... Deserved at the hands of fortune that she sends you to prison hither. Prison, my lord. Denmark's a prison. Then is the world one. A goodly one, in which there are many confines, wards, and dungeons. Denmark being one of the worst. We think not so, my lord. Why, then, tis none to you, for there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. To me it is a prison. Why, then, your ambition makes it one. Tis too narrow for your mind. Oh, God! I could be bounded in a nutshell and count myself a king of infinite space, were it not that I have bad dreams. Which dreams, indeed, are ambition, for the very substance of the ambitious is merely the shadow of a dream. A dream itself is but a shadow. Truly, and I hold ambition of so airy and light a quality, that it is but a shadow's shadow. Then are our beggars' bodies, and our monarchs and outstretched heroes the beggars' shadows. Shall we to the court? For by my fay I cannot reason. We'll, we'll wait, wait upon, upon you. you. No such matter. I will not sort you with the rest of my servants. 
for to speak to you like an honest man, I am most dreadfully attended. But in the beaten way of friendship, what make you at Elsinore? To visit you, my lord, no other occasion. Beggar that I am, I am even poor in thanks. But I thank you. And sure, dear friends, my thanks are too dear a halfpenny, were you not sent for? Is it your own inclining? Is it a free visitation? Come, deal justly with me. Come, come, nay, speak. What should we say, my lord? Why, anything but to the purpose. You were sent for. And there is a kind of confession in your looks which your modesties have not craft enough to colour. I know the good king and queen have sent for you. To what end, my lord? That you must teach me. But let me conjure you by the rights of our fellowship, by the consonancy of our youth, by the obligation of our ever-preserved love. And by what more dear a better proposer could charge you with all, be even and direct with me, whether you were sent for or no. Aside to Guildenstern. What say you? Aside. Nay, then, I have an eye of you, if you love me, hold not off. My lord, we were sent for. I will tell you why. So shall my anticipation prevent your discovery and your secrecy to the king and queen molt no feather. I have of late, but wherefore I know not, lost all my mirth, foregone all custom of exercises, and indeed it goes so heavily with my disposition that this goodly frame the earth seems to me a sterile promontory. It's most excellent canopy the air. Look you. This brave o'erhanging firmament, this majestical roof fretted with golden fire, why, it appears no other thing to me than a foul and pestilent congregation of vapours. What a piece of work is man! How noble in reason, how infinite in faculty and form and moving, how express and admirable! In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. The beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. And yet, to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Men delights not me. No, nor woman neither, though by your smiling you seem to say so. My lord, there was no such stuff in my thoughts. Why did you laugh, then, when I said, Man delights not me? To think, my lord, if you delight not in man, what Lenten entertainment the players shall receive from you. We coated them on the way, and hither they are coming to offer you service. He that plays the king shall be welcome. His Majesty shall have tribute of me. The, the adventurous knight shall use his foil and target. The lover shall not sigh gratis. The humorous man shall end his part in peace. The clown shall make those laugh whose lungs are tickled o'er the sair. 
and the lady shall say her mind freely, or the blank verse shall heart for it. What, what players are they? Even those you were wont to take delight in, the tragedians of the city. How chances it they travel? Their residence, both in reputation and profit, was better both ways. I think their inhibition comes by the means of the late innovation. Do they hold the same estimation they did when I was in the city? Are they so followed? No, indeed, they are not. How comes it? Do they grow rusty? Nay, their endeavour keeps in the wonted pace, but there is, sir, an airy of children, little Iasses, that cry out on the top of question, and are most tyrannically clapped for it. These are now the fashion, and so berettle the common stages, so they call them, that many wearing rapiers are afraid of goose-quills, and dare scarce come thither. What, are they children? Who maintains them? How are they escorted? Will they pursue the quality no longer than they can sing? Will they not say afterwards if they should grow themselves to common players, as it is most like, if their means are no better, their writers do them wrong to make them exclaim against their own succession? Faith, there has been much to do on both sides, and the nation holds it in no sin to tar them to controversy. There was, for a while, no money bid for argument, unless the poet and the player went to cuffs in the question. Is it possible? Oh, there has been much throwing about of brains. Do the boys carry it away? Aye, that they do, my lord. Hercules and his load, too. It is not very strange, for mine uncle is king of Denmark, and those that would make mose at him while my father lived give twenty, forty, fifty, uh, an hundred ducats apiece for his picture in little... Splat, there is something more in this than natural, if philosophy could find it out. Flourish of trumpets within. There are the players. Gentlemen, you are welcome to Elsinore. Your hands come, then. The appurtenance of welcome is fashion and ceremony. Let me comply with you in this garb, lest my extent to the players, which I tell you must show fairly outward, should appear more like entertainment than yours. You are welcome. But my uncle, father, and aunt, mother, are deceived. In what, my dear lord? I am but mad north-north-west, when the wind is southerly. I know a hawk from a hen-saw. Enter Polonius. Well be with you, gentlemen. Hark you, Guildenstern, and you too. At each ear a hearer. A great baby you see there is not out of his swaddling clouts. Happily he is the second time come to them, for they say an old man is twice a child. I will prophesy he comes to tell me of the player's market. You say right, sir. Oh, Monday morning, twas so indeed. My lord, I have news to tell you. My lord, I have news to tell you. When Rocius was an actor in Rome— The actors are come hither, my lord. Buzz, buzz. Upon mine honour. Then came each actor— on his ass. The best actors in the world, either for tragedy, comedy, history, pastoral, pastoral-comical, historical-pastoral, tragical-historical, tragical-comical, historical-pastoral, scene-individual, or poem-unlimited. Seneca cannot be too heavy, nor Plautus too light. For the law of writ and the liberty, these are the only men. Oh, Jephthah, judge of Israel, what a treasure hadst thou! What treasure had he, my lord? 
Why one fair daughter and no more? The witch she loved passing well. Aside. Still on my daughter. Am I not in the right, old Jephthah? If you call me Jephthah, my lord, I have a daughter that I love passing well. Nay, that follows not. What follows, then, my lord? Why, as by lot, God, what? And then, you know, it came to pass, as most like it was, the first row of the pious chanson will show you more, for look where my abridgment comes. Enter four or five players. You are welcome, masters, welcome all. I am glad to see thee well. Welcome, good friends. Oh, my old friend. Thy face is valence, since I saw thee last. Comes thou to beard me in Denmark? <laughs> what, my young lady and mistress? By your lady. Your ladyship is nearer to heaven than when I saw you last by the altitude of a chopin. Pray God your voice, like a piece of uncurrent gold, be not cracked within the ring. Masters, you are welcome all. We'll e'en to it, like French falconers, fly at anything we see. We'll have a speech straight. Come, give us a taste of your quality. Come, a passionate speech. What speech, my lord? I heard thee speak a speech once, oh, but it was never acted, or if it was... Mm. Not above once, for the play I remember pleased not the million. Twas caviar to the general. But it was, as I received it, and others whose judgment in such matters cried in the top of mine, an excellent play, well digested and seen, set down with as much modesty as cunning. I remember one said there were no salads in the lines to make the matter savoury, nor no matter in the phrase that might indict the author of, of affectation, but called it an honest method, as wholesome as sweet, and by very much more handsome than fine. One speech in it I chiefly loved. Twas Aeneas' tale to Dido, and thereabout of it, especially where he speaks of uh, Priam's slaughter. If it live in your memory, uh, begin at this line. Uh, let me see. Let me see. Um, the rugged uh, purist, like the Hyrcanian beast. No, it is not so. Ah, it begins with Pyrrhus. The rugged Pyrrhus, uh, he whose sable's arms, black as his purpose, did the night resembled where he lay couched in the ominous horse, hath now this dread and black complexion smeared with heraldry more dismal, head to foot. Now is he total gulls, horridly tricked with blood of fathers, mothers, daughters, sons, baked and impasted with the parching streets that lend a tyrannous and damned light to the Lord's murder, roasted in wrath and fire, and thus or sighs with coagulate gore, with eyes like carbuncles, the hellish purest old grandsire Priam speaks. Ah, so proceed you. For God, my lord, well spoken, and with good accent and good discretion. Anon he finds him, striking too short at Greeks, his antique sword, rebellious to his arm, lies where it falls, 
repugnant to command unequalled matched pyrrhus at priam drives and rage strikes wide but with a whiff and wind of his fell sword the unnerved father falls then senseless Ilium, seeming to feel this blow with flaming top stoops to his base and with a hideous crash takes prisoner pyrrhus's ear for lo his sword which was declining on the milky head of reverend priam seemed to the air to stick so as a painted tyrant pyrrhus stood and like a neutral to his will and matter did nothing but as we often see against some storm a silence in the heavens the rack stands still the bold winds speechless and the orb below as hush as death anon the dreadful thunder doth rend the region so after pyrrhus's pause aroused vengeance sets him new a work and never did the cyclops hammers fall on mars's armour forged for proof eterne with less remorse than pyrrhus's bleeding sword now falls on priam out out thou strumpet fortune all you gods in general synod take away her power break all the spokes and fellies from her wheel and bowl the round knave down the hill of heaven as low as to the fiends this is too long it shall to the barbers with your beard prithee say on he's for a jig or a tail of baudry or he sleeps say on come to hecuba but who oh who had seen the mobled queen the mobled queen that's good mobled queen is good run barefoot up and down threatening the flames with bison room a clout upon that head where late the diadem stood and for a robe about her lank and all o'er teemed loins a blanket in the alarm of fear caught up who this had seen with tongue in venom steeped against fortune's state would treason have pronounced but if the gods themselves did see her then when she saw pyrrhus make malicious sport in mincing with his sword her husband's limbs the instant burst of clamour that she made unless things mortal moved them not at all would have made milch the burning eyes of heaven and passion in the gods look where he has not turned his colour and has tears in his eyes prithee no more tis well i'll have thee speak out the rest soon good my lord will you see the players well bestowed do you hear let them be well used for they are the abstract and brief chronicles of the time after your death you were better have a bad epitaph than their ill report while you live my lord i will use them according to their desert god's bodkins man much better use every man after his desert and who should scape whipping use them after your own honour and dignity the less they deserve the more merit is in your bounty take them in come sirs uh, follow him friends we'll hear a play to-morrow exit polonius with all players but the first dost thou hear me old friend can you play the murder of gonzago ay my lord we'll hat to-morrow night you could, for a need, uh, study a speech of some dozen or sixteen lines, which I would set down and insert int, could you not? Aye, my lord. Very well. Follow that lord, and look you, mock him not. Exit first player. My good friends, I'll leave you till night. You are welcome to Elsinore. Good, my lord. Aye, so God be with ye. Exeunt Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Now I am alone. Oh, what a rogue and peasant slave am I! Is it not monstrous that this player here, but in a fiction, in a dream of passion, could force his soul so to his own conceit that from her working all his visage wand, tears in his eyes, distraction in his aspect, a broken voice, and his whole function suiting with forms to his conceit, a 
and all for nothing. <laughs> for Hecuba. <laughs> What's Hecuba to him, or he to Hecuba, that he should weep for her? What would he do? Had he the motive in cue for passion that I have? He would drown the stage with tears, and cleave the general ear with horrid speech, make mad the guilty and appall the free, confound the ignorant and amaze indeed the very faculties of eyes and ears. Yet I, a dull and muddy-metalled rascal, peak like Jonah dreams, unpregnant of my cause, and can say nothing. Oh! Not for a king upon whose property and most dear life a damned defeat was made. Am I a coward? Who calls me villain? Breaks my painter cross. Plucks off my beard and blows it in my face. Tweaks me by the nose. Gives me the lie, the throat, as deep as to the lungs. Who does me this? <laughs> Swoons. I should take it. For it cannot be, but I am pigeon-livered and lack gall to make oppression bitter. Oh, ere this, I should have fatted all the region's kites with this slave's awful. Bloody. Body villain. Remorseless, treacherous, lecherous, kindless villain of vengeance. Oh, oh, why, what an ass am I? This is most brave. That I, the son of a dear father, murdered. Prompted to my revenge by heaven and hell, must, like a whore, unpack my heart with words and fall, a cursing like a very drab scullion. Fie upon foe. About my brain. Ah, oh, I have heard the guilty creature sitting at a play have by the very cunning of the scene been struck so to the soul that presently they have proclaimed their malefactions. For murder, though it have no tongue, will speak with most miraculous organ. I'll have these players play something like the murder of my father before mine uncle. I'll observe his looks, I'll tend him to the quick, if he but blench, I know my course. A spirit that I have seen may be the devil, and the devil hath power to assume a pleasing shape, yea, and perhaps out of my weakness and my melancholy, as he is very potent with such spirits, abuses me to damn me. Oh, I'll have grounds more relative than this. The place, the thing, wherein I'll catch the conscience... Of the king. Exit. End of Act Two.
brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.